start a new series that we're going to run from now till Christmas. And, uh, you know, I thought it's that time of year. It's already snuck up on us. And you hear the Christmas carols on the radio and we see snow. It is that time of year. And for, for some, maybe you know the song, it's the most wonderful time of the year. There's kids jingle belling and, you know, everyone telling you be of good. There's parties for hosting marshmallows for toasting, friends come, or roasting, I don't know. Can you toast marshmallows? Hmm. Friends come to call, you know, and it's the happiest season of all. It's uh, one of those things where it's like, oh, it just makes you feel good. But maybe not everybody. Not everybody feels the same way about this season at all. And so I found this remix on uh, YouTube of that song. I just thought I'd let you... It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle-belling and everyone yelling what they want this year It's the most wonderful time of the year It's the happiest season of all the selfish complaining and greedy kids screaming and fights in the mall. It's the hap- happiest season of all. Okay, he can't sing. That's enough of that. That's my brother Len if you need him. So, you know, the individual experiences of Christmas and the season often affects what we feel about it. And, you know, like, for instance, some of you think about Christmas and you just can't wait. It's like shopping, shopping, shopping. It's like you go to Black Friday sales and you come out looking like this. It just energizes you. You just can't get enough. And then there's us, you know, the other ones who are like shopping, shopping, shopping. Like, oh, no thanks. You know, I'm going to do my Christmas shopping at the convenience store on Christmas Eve. I'll start it and finish it all at the same time. And then there's some, you know, who, who the, the snow, you love the snow. You know, you, you wish you were that kid again. And then maybe you're not young like that, but I found this video last night. I just had to show you this 101-year-old lady who... <laughs> oh my, oh my, look at this. I know, it makes a good one. Oh my, oh yeah. <laughs> oh my, oh my, oh my, oh my. Oh, it's kind of fun to play in the snow. It is, it is. It's not cold. No, no, it's not, not cold. Not, no, no. Because no. you need gloves, of course. Yeah, of course. But 101 years old, just cold. hopped out of the vehicle <laughs> while they were driving and decided, oh going to play in the snow. Some love it. I love snow now. I got a new snow blower, so I'm pretty um, excited about that. Snow thrower, I'm, 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 yeah, I love snow. But then there's others who hate snow, like this guy. Uh, and, and then, you know, my neighbor hates snow, too. That guy, yeah. He doesn't have a new snow thrower, so unfortunate. But, you know, winter, some celebrate it and some leave it and just go to Florida and celebrate winter there. You know, you snowboarders, you know who you are. That's why I had to do this early. But everyone has personal feelings about these things. And, and I actually wanted to start a new series this, uh, this week called It's Personal. This idea of it being personal. So with some help from the skit guys, we're going to do some things over the next number of weeks to think about this thought of it being personal. And sometimes when you hear those words together, it's personal. What that basically means is, you know, don't, don't tell how much money do you make. Uh, it's personal. Or if you ask somebody, uh, hey, how many months pregnant are you? Uh, just don't ask that question. It's personal. Hockey players, or they're not pregnant, that's even worse. Hockey player, you know, this, uh, this week was asking for a trade. It was all through the, through the uh, sports news. He's coming, he wants to be traded to Canada. And they asked him, he's like, well, it's about my family, but, you know, it's personal. That's all I want to say about that. It's kind of this nice way to say, none of your business. 
It's personal. It's none of your business. And it's kind of got a negative little bit of connotation to it. But this, this series, I want to, you know, try and avoid that um, side of things. But to think about this idea of it being uh, of it being personal. Advent starts next week, but we're just not good at traditions or rule keeping, so we're starting it a week early. Uh, but the idea of some of the stories of Christmas, the story of Christmas, or like the true story of Christmas, you know, I watched Charlie Brown uh, Christmas with my kids the other night, and you know, they, they have all the, the music and the dog dancing, and it's pretty cool, and then, and then all of a sudden, it's the true story of Christmas. Linus comes out with a little blank, and he starts quoting King James Version Bible. And my kids are like, we're watching, I'm like, oh, that's the true meaning of Christmas. And they're like, when's the dog and the music coming back, right? It's like, I don't, I don't really want that, that part. But as we've, as, for many of you, if you've grown up in church, you've heard the Christmas story before. And you're going to hear it again this year multiple times. And I remember as a kid, sometimes as a teen, you'd go, you know, you'd hear the Christmas story beginning and pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria and all went to be registered. Everyone went to his own city. And by about that point, by about city, my eyes would glaze over. My mind would wander because I know the story. I know what's going to happen next. I know the baby in the manger and the three wise guys. And I know what's what's coming up. And so you kind of can drift off and, and, and lose that attention and lose that focus because it's kind of, it can be just a story, just an old story. But my challenge is that this was personal for some people back then, that these were very real people, that the story is talking about people that, that really lived, really died, real, real people. And it's about us today. It's about you and it's about me and it's about the people around our world. This idea of it's got to become personal for each and every person that, that hears it and that knows it. And so my question over the next bunch of weeks is, is it personal for you? Or is it just a story? There's a Christmas carol called Oh Holy Night. It's got to be my absolute favorite Christmas carol, especially Celine Dion's version of it. That just gives me chills every single time I listen to it. And it's, uh, you know, it's one of, I'd just replay that one constantly if I could in my house. But it's one of these carols that just has so, the, the, the music's phenomenal, but the poem that was written early on before where it came from has some just incredible words. There's, there's these lyrics. I don't know about you, but I don't really, that's not the first thing I think of when I hear the word thrill. You know, you think skydiving, bungee jumping, bumper cars, and hope. And it's not really one of those things like, oh yeah, that's a thrill. And yet, in the song, it talks about this thrill of hope, and Christmas is the story of hope. You know, one of the other lyrics in the song is this, Long lay the world in sin and error, pining. We don't use that word pining so much, but it's that idea of wasting away or, or, or um, declining. Later on, it talks about the weary world rejoicing, but we think a lot about the weary world. And these words that were written, they actually reflect back on something that a guy named Luke wrote almost 2,000 years ago. Luke was, was a, a historian, a doctor, a very brilliant person who wanted to create an accurate account of what, um, the life of Jesus. He went and talked to everybody that he could talk to. He says, I went and talked to everybody who was an eyewitness. I want to know what did you see and comparing it with other eyewitnesses to put out this, this um, uh, accurate account of the life of Jesus Christ. And as he wrote about it, you would think he'd probably start about the life of Jesus Christ with his birth. But Luke's the only one who doesn't start there. He starts before that. 
And so before uh, we jump into where Luke is at, I just want to give you a quick uh, update on the setting of what's happening at the time where Jesus was born. The setting, he would send prophets to talk to. It's everything that God had done on the planet so far was all through this nation of Israel. Well, they hadn't heard the voice of the Lord in over 400 years. There was no prophets coming by to tell them. There was no sermons. There was nothing new. And it just went on and on and on where there was like, God, did you just like stop existing? Did you just decide that, you know, you're never going to talk to us again? He had spoken to them through prophets, but he hadn't spoken to them in, in, uh, and there hadn't been a prophet for a long time. And as they went for the last 400 years, they kept thinking about this this thing, this one thing that they had, um, the, the last thing that they had heard. The last prophet, the last messenger had said some words, and he had, he had basically told them, saying, listen, I'm going to be, you know, speaking for God, saying, I'm, I'm coming. God's coming to the planet at some point. Just be ready. Be waiting. It's not going to be a prophet. It's not going to be a messenger. It's going to be me. I'm going to come back to the planet myself. And the way you're going to know that I'm coming to the planet is right before I get there, I'm going to send Elijah. I'm going to send somebody that, that, that's going to remind you of Elijah, and he's coming before uh, I get there. So when you see Elijah, you know that I'm right around the corner. And he said this in Malachi chapter 3. So if you, you can just see this uh, here. Malachi was one of the last three books of, uh, of the old God speaking through Malachi. He says, look, I'm sending my messenger, and he'll prepare the way before me. Then the Lord that you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. He's like, I'm coming. And the messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly, he's surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And then at the very end of Malachi, as he's just about to wrap up his letter uh, to, the, to the Israelite people, he says, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. And just look at this thought. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, and otherwise I will come and strike the land with a curse. It was this idea, he says, listen, this is how you're going to know. Uh, this is the sign that you need to pay attention for. When you see that, you know that I'm coming. And so they began to wait. They knew that a Savior was coming. They knew that a Messiah was coming. They just didn't know when. And they started waiting, and they kept waiting and waiting and waiting, generations of them waiting for a long time. You know when you wait for a long time about something you're kind of hoping for, and then you die, and then your kids die, and their kids die, and their kids die, and you keep passing on the story. No, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. The longer you wait, uh, the, 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 the hope begins to run out. It's like, well, it didn't happen in grandpa's time. didn't happen in great-grandpa's time. didn't happen in great-great-grandpa's time. Who is Malachi anyways? And it's like, ah, man, I, I, don't, I don't really know. And they begin running out of hope. And that's when you have a chance. Luke chapter 1 brings us to the story of a man named Zechariah, a real man. A man named Zechariah who was an old man. He had married a, a, a gal named Elizabeth, and they had grown, grown old together, but they had no children. Zechariah was a priest. He was born into that, and he lived, in, and that was his job. Uh, his wife was also the daughter of a priest, and so their lives were surrounded about, around serving the Lord. And back then, it was different. It wasn't like, you know, the, the priests or the pastors worked every single weekend, uh, they, they, only, they only actually work twice a year. You know, some of you think my job is easy. He only works one day a week. These guys only worked one, one week every six months. And so what would happen is they would travel. There was these groups of, of um, priests that would travel on their week. Hundreds of them would travel together to Jerusalem. They would serve in the temple, and then when they were done, they would go home. So Zechariah was on his week. He was going to the temple to serve 
And he was there with a few hundred other priests. And then the priests, there was all kinds of jobs. You know, there was jobs like where you, you had to carry the golden and silver bowls. Uh, for some, they had to catch the sheep that were going to be sacrificed. For some, they had to carry the, the waste out of the camp. And for, for they just had different things they had to do in the temple. And so Zechariah would have been there, and they would all kind of figure out what their jobs were. And then they, they did this thing where they cast lots, it says. And it's like drawing a name out of a hat to find out who gets to do the cool jobs. Who gets to do the job where you go into the temple? It's really, you know, an incredible opportunity that barely ever happened. It was like a hundred names and maybe yours would get chosen. They burned the incense only seven, seven um, mornings and seven evenings for a hundred people. And the na- or hundreds of people. And Zechariah's name gets drawn and it gets pulled out and he gets to go into the, into the temple. And it's like a once in a lifetime moment. And in the holy place, he's totally focused on God. As he's there burning the incense, it's like his whole focus is there. I kind of had a small picture of what that might be like a couple weeks ago when we did Remembrance Day, the Remembrance Day service we did out at the, um, in Jarvis. And as we were laying the wreaths at the, the memorial there, one of the pastors says, hey, you do it for the pastors. And I was like, what? What do I do? He's like, just walk with, the, walk with Russ and uh, walk you know, to, the, to the spot and just put the wreath down. And so it was all these colors, all these people dressed in their military gear, and then there's me. And I, I pick up the wreath, and I'm like, I'm a little bit nervous. And then I'm like trying to figure out left, left, and I can't, like, I can't keep up. But as, as I'm carrying the wreath and I get there, I begin to walk down this thing, and there's the colors of the flags all beside me. There's this um, captain, marshal, army guy beside me walking. I'm carrying the wreath to this spot, and I see all the other wreaths, and I see the memorial, and it's got the words on there, um, just the dates and, the, and, and remembrance the soldiers who fought for us. And it was like this surreal moment as I walked, as it was just like, just, it felt like just me. And I thought, man, as I'm for me, I thought, wow, they all did that for me, and they didn't even realize it. And it was just this total different part. Everything else, the kind of the ceremony, all the remembrance things, all the things I've been to remembrance day services before, it was just this different moment. And for Zechariah, it would have been probably the same way. As he's in the temple, it's like, oh, this is different. I haven't done this before. In all of his years, this is the chance to, to burn incense before the Lord. This is different. He'd be so focused on God, and he'd be so focused on doing it right, because if you did it wrong, you died. It's just the way it went. If you did it wrong in the temple, you died. And so Zachariah is like paying so much attention to God, and as he's in that moment, paying attention to, to, uh, to God, all of a sudden God speaks to him. God sends an angel and gives him this, a message so incredible that he He's shocked to see an angel. He's like, oh, did I do something wrong? Is he going to kill me, you know? And, and he's like, no, I got a message for you, Zechariah. I got a message. And, and he tells him this incredible message. And Zechariah's like, that is just unbelievable. Like, so unbelievable. I don't believe it. I don't believe that what you're telling me could possibly be true. And, and he says, I, how am I going to know? Can you give me a sign that what you're telling me is going to be true? And the angel's like, you shouldn't have asked for a sign. And for those of you who know the story, he's like, you know what? You know, Mary said, you know, when she said, God, how can this be? The angels show up and they sing for her. Not the case. It's true. You don't get to talk at all. Not a word. Nothing. And he's like, okay. And he realizes, whoa. Now he knows in his head, I just heard this word, but now I can't tell anybody. He goes out. They've been waiting for him all this time. He tries to explain to them. big angel, big halo, I'm going to be a daddy, you know? How do you explain that? I was going to try and get one of you guys up here to kind of do the hand motions, but we'll move on. 
he tries to explain this and realizes, I don't know, but they realize, the people realize, this guy saw a vision. He must have heard from the Lord. Something happened. And then he's got to go home and try and explain it to his wife. The old lady back at home, it's probably one of the only times that that's actually accurate. He goes back home to his wife, who is of old age, and he goes back to tell her this message. I wonder, I wonder what that would have been like. Me too. Skit guys are going to help us what it might have looked like. Real people has experienced it that, that day. Zachariah and Elizabeth, they had been praying and hoping for a son. They had been praying and hoping with Israel for the Messiah. And the name, it was so important, this name. His name's not going to be just named after somebody in the family. It's named after, he says, this name's going to be John. And the meanings of names back in the Bible, now we just sort of pick names sometimes. Like, ah, oh, that sounds cool together. Back then, it was like, what does it mean? And his name, John, means that God is gracious. As you think about the names of Zechariah and Elizabeth, their names, Zechariah means God remembers, and Elizabeth's name means oath or promise of God. God remembers the promise of God. God remembers what he's promised, and Israel had been praying, and they had running out of hope, and all of a sudden in this moment, hope gets restored. See, we often think of the word hope as just wishful thinking. It's like toss a coin in a wishing well, that type of thought. You know, I really, I really hope that that would happen. Kids downstairs, you know, most of those, their kids are kind of hoping, basically wishing for what they're going to get for Christmas. You know, I, I hope, I hope I'm going to get a quad. I hope I'm going to get a car. I hope I'm going to get a real helicopter, Dad. They're wishing. Beth, my wife, hoping that our Christmas lights would look like this. She's wishing. Oftentimes, when we look, think that lots of Christians have this too, where they have this hope, but it's like, ah, uh, it, it ends in disappointment. Things where they say, you know, like, I hope, I hope my kids are going to follow Christ. You know, I, I hope that my marriage will make it. I hope I don't lose my job. I hope that God can help pay my bills. I hope that God could heal me. Hope, 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 but it's more of just kind of a wishing. Maybe this thought, Proverbs 13 says this, that hope deferred or delayed or held back, it makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. When hope's restored, there's a tree of life. But without hope, it's just this ah uh, feeling on the inside. And many Christians, followers of Jesus, experience this ah uh, on the inside. Because it's not the Bible kind of hope that they're having. This idea of wishing isn't what the Bible's talking about at all. When he says the story of hope, the word hope is described with these two other words called waiting and expectantly, and then put them together. It's waiting, not just waiting, but waiting expectantly. It's like this pregnant woman who, you know, she's going to have a baby. I know. I had to ask forgiveness for that. She's not, she's not wishing that she could have a baby. Well, she, maybe she is at that point. But it's not this idea of she's like, oh, I wonder what's in there. No, she knows. It's like, I'm going to have a baby. I just have to wait for the right time. I, that's that idea of hope. I'm waiting, and I'm, but I'm expecting. I know that I'm going to have a child. I just don't know when. I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly more than I can ask and I can imagine. I just don't know the when. And sometimes it's in the when and the waiting that people have waited so long that they're just kind of waiting instead of waiting expectantly. And you know that hope is lost when they begin to just wait rather than wait with expectancy. What does that look like? What does it mean? It becomes passive waiting. Passive waiting is like the Leafs fans waiting for the, the Leafs to win a cup. It's passive waiting. They're still fans, but they're just, you know, they're, these, guys, these guys are actually hoping. 
They're like still there, you know. They're unhappy, but they still think down the road, some way, we're going to keep our jerseys because it could happen. And then there's the wishful Leaf fans who just decide that there's something better and we're going to move on. Many, many followers, you know, many of the people of Israel back in that day, they were no longer hoping that a Messiah would come. They had moved into the idea of wishing. And it was this idea of passive waiting where they weren't actually expecting it. And so because they weren't expecting it any longer, they didn't even recognize him when he came. They didn't recognize Jesus was the Savior. It was just an old promise. It wasn't personal. It was just an old story that some guy had said, and it wasn't personal. And for so many, Christmas and the story of Jesus, it's an old story. It's not personal. It has to be. Hope was restored when Zechariah saw the angel and he thought of those things. Yes, long lay the world in sin and error pining. It's been 400 years. But then he appeared. And the thrill of hope, it wasn't there and now it is. There's something that I can look forward to. God's not forgotten us. God's not forgotten what he promised us. In Luke chapter 1, the angel says these words to Zechariah in the temple. It says, he will turn, your son, John, will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. And Zechariah is hearing that and saying, oh, this sounds like what I heard. This is, this, is the, this is the sign. He'll prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And he will come and cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And he's like, oh, the messenger is coming. And if the messenger is coming, that means that God is coming to the planet. That means that the Messiah is coming. The hope wasn't just that we're going to have a baby. The hope was that that because the messenger's coming, it's my son, which is awesome, but that means that the Savior is coming. The one that they were waiting for, because they weren't waiting for the one named John. They were waiting for that one named Elijah, but they were waiting knowing that there was another one, one whose name had been spoken of long before by the prophets. As we talked about the importance of the names earlier of John and Elizabeth and Zechariah, there's one other name that was way more important to them. The power and the his name's Counselor, the one who's going to be with you. His name's Mighty God. His name's Everlasting Father. His name's Prince of Peace. His name is Emmanuel. God with us. God with us. Matthew chapter 12, Matthew quotes Isaiah 42 in another place, and he says his name will be the hope of the, all the world. His name will be the hope of all the world. We sing the song, Hope of the World. I thought about this. His name is Hope hope, that waiting expectantly for the whole world. So my question is, what about today? What about today? Because lots of people feel hopeless. Lots of people have these feelings of hopelessness. And there's a lot of hopelessness when you look around. It's, you know, this idea of Christmas being the happiest season of all. For some, it's the worst. It's the lowest. It's one of the most hurting times. For those who struggle with depression, these are the highest times for depression in, in the year. You know, when we talk about a weary world, it feels like this is a weary world sometimes. When you look around and see what you think are hopeless situations, hopeless marriages, hopeless relationships, hopeless people, suicide rates rise between now and Christmas. Why? Because people finally run out of hope. But it's a lie. This idea that there's no hope left, it's a lie. Claire Booth Luce there's only men who have grown hopeless about them. There are no hopeless situations. There are only men who have grown hopeless about them. 
This was spoken by a woman who was divorced, who had lost her second husband to disease. Her daughter, 19 years old, was killed in a car accident, her only child. But she always said this idea of there's no hopeless situations. I'm never going to give up hope. There's only men who have grown hopeless about them. She became an author. She became part of, um, part of uh, uh, the American politics, and she became an ambassador as well. This idea of, you know what, it doesn't matter the darkness, the weariness around me. I will not lose my hope. I will not give up hope. We've talked about that in the last number of weeks. In Psalm 42, we read this a couple weeks ago where some of David's worship leaders wrote these words, Why so downcast, O my soul? In the darkness, why so downcast? I will put my hope in God. I will put my waiting and my expectancy on, on Him. Life might be dark, but I hope in you. David wrote in Psalm 119, this long chapter, but a beautiful um, uh, chapter of the Bible, just written about the Word of God Himself. And he wrote, he wrote this three times. He says, I will hope in your Word. Not only do I hope and wait expectantly for you, God, I hope and wait expectantly on your Word you just see it in Isaiah 40, 31. Most of you read this on a mug. But it says, they that wait, and that word's actually, are set with hope in their heart on the Lord. They will renew their strength. Hope's going to give them the strength they need. They're going to rise up on wings like eagles. Everyone else around them might be fainting, might be heart sick. But they're going to rise up with wings as eagles. Proverbs 13, which we read earlier, it says this idea, when hope's deferred, when you lose hope, when you run out of hope, it makes the heart sick. But when hope returns... It creates this idea of a vibrant, growing tree. Your life just is vibrant and growing. And so my question for you is, which one are you? Which one are you? When we talk about the idea of the hope of the whole world, his name is the hope of the world. It became personal for those people that day. It became personal for Zachariah. It became personal for, for Elizabeth. It became personal for Mary. It became personal for Joseph. So what about you and, and what about me? Is it personal for you? Is it personal for you or is it just a story? Is he the hope of the world or is he your hope? See, oftentimes I think, you know, as we sit here together and we talk, I talk and you listen most of the time, I have these thoughts that, you know, we all are on the same page. But I'm fully aware that that's not always the case. That there's two types of people here this morning. There's two types of people and, and I, I want to ask you, which one are you? What does hope look like to you? When you hear about hope and you hear about the hope that, that Christ brings to the world, my question is, is this about what I do on the weekend? Or no, this is my life. Is this about a story about Jesus? Or is this about, I have a relationship with Jesus? This idea of it's personal. What is faith in Christ? Faith in Christ is to simply transfer your weight from you to something else. It's the idea of the weight of the responsibility of me Figuring out how to control my life and run my life. Figuring out, you know, if there's a, if there's a God, I've got I've to get my life right. I've got to get things straightened out. If, if I need, you know, salvation or where, what's going to happen to me after I die, if I've got to have that all on me, we're pretty lousy at that. That's where the hurt, that's where the darkness, that's where the sin, that's where the, 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 the fading on the inside happens. It's just transferring it to Jesus saying, you know, I transfer my salvation, my hope, for eternity, God, I put it in you alone. Not my efforts, not my abilities. It's not me anymore. It's simply you. I just trust you. My hope is in you. Is it personal this morning? Because today, for many, it can be. If it's never, you've never gotten to that place where you said, you know what? 
No, I just kind of live my life. Sunday's a part of it. I live my life. Church is a part of it. I live my life. Jesus, yeah, he's part of it. But I've never really put my hope in him personally. You can do that this morning. It's that idea of simply, God, you're right. I've lived my life for me. I've messed it up. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm going to be accountable for that sin someday, and I can't pay it. So I'm going to transfer my hope to you, that what you did on the cross, you took care of it. God, I just want, I want you. I want to put my hope in you. This morning, there's a group of you that that's you, and I'd encourage you this morning that he's inviting you with loving open arms saying, don't try and clean up your life. You can't. I will. Just come. Just put your hope in me. Make this personal. Let's do life together, me and Jesus. And there's a second group of people here this morning. You're the ones who have put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're the ones who it is personal for you. It's not, yeah, you know, I go to Kingsway on Sunday. It's throughout the week. It's like that listening for, for his voice. You're studying his word. You're growing in him. It's personal. But I want to challenge you with this thought that even as John was sent to the planet to prepare the world for Jesus, I would encourage you that God has sent you for the same reason and the same mission, to help prepare the world around you for Jesus. Not the world as in general, the people in your life, the people around you, your family. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Um, Who around you that you know needs to hear about hope? Who around you that you know is just in darkness, you know that on the end hope to a weary world around you, that when they can hear the words that, yes, Jesus, he's alive, he came for for you, he's got the answer, he is the answer, put your hope in him. I would encourage you that over this Christmas season, you're going to have the opportunity to be around people that maybe you don't always see all the time. You're going to be around all kinds of people that as you walk by, they're smiling on the outside and they're dead on the inside. They so need a message of hope, and you have it. You have it. You're like, I don't know what to say. I encourage you, you can invite them to church over the next number of weeks. We're going to be talking about the same idea to help people get to the place where it's personal. Who around you needs to hear the message of hope? And for those of you this morning, I wanted you to ask yourself for real, is this personal? Is this what Jesus did? Is it personal? Because it needs to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for for your word and for the stories that you've preserved so that we could read them and learn from them and grow from them. Above all, thank you for the truth behind this story that, Jesus, (laughs) you came for us. God, for those today who are just considering and thinking about that thought of whether it's personal for them, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that they would sense your voice, sense your drawing on their hearts, just that thing on the inside that knows that they need you. God, I pray that... um, today for those of us who are your followers, that I just pray for our hope and need a word of hope and a word of encouragement. And Holy Spirit, we just trust you that you'll give us the right words to say in that moment. We'll just be obedient to step out. God, I thank you for this amazing season, and I pray that it will be amazing for for many uh, because of you and because of who you are. Thankful for that. Pray your blessing over this family. Pray your take care of them this week. Uh, as they live their lives with you, may the world be changed, at least this part. In your name I pray. Amen.